This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. I'm Dave Iverson, and welcome to another in our continuing series of conversations about new developments in Parkinson's disease research. Until the past decade, heredity was not thought to play a role in Parkinson's. But new genetic findings are changing the way we look at the disease and could have important implications for drug development, drugs that might be effective for Parkinson's patients in general, not just those with a genetic connection. But beyond the research implications, there are also personal implications and personal questions. If I come from a family that has a pattern of Parkinson's, for example, should I now get tested? Recently, I spoke with Dr. Phil Riley, a past president of the American Society of Law, Medicine, and Ethics, about that question. The one thing I would counsel everybody is a period of reflection. On the day that you think you've decided, I want to have this test that is, if you will, a risk assessment test, that even though you feel certain that you wait some period of time, I don't know if it's 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, and enter again into another period of reflection. And during that period, you take the time and that you go into it if you decide to go forward, saying no matter what happens, I'm not going to, after the test results come back to me, have a period where I think I did the wrong thing. I'm doing the right thing now regardless of the results. So I think really it comes down to, do I want to know, are my reasons good enough for me, and do I think I can make use of this information in a constructive way? Riley believes that a process of personal reflection is crucial to determining how you will respond to new information, especially if that information contains news about elevated disease risk. Individuals tend to sort themselves out, and and the group that says they want to know, they want to be tested, they have, in ways that it's probably unique to each person, processed this risk and decided on balance they want the knowledge. You, for example, can think more about very important undertakings you'd like to experience in your life and do them sooner rather than later. And if you're one of those individuals, then Riley says learning test results is unlikely to lead to increased anxiety. He cites a study at Massachusetts General Hospital of 100 women who were tested for a genetic predisposition for breast cancer. And the results, the long and short, was that among about 100 women, they were almost to a person immensely satisfied that they got the knowledge, even if it was, quote unquote, bad Mm -hmm. news, Mm -hmm. because now they felt that they could sort of take something that had been a foggy risk and it crystallized into a certainty. And they felt often almost empowered to deal better with it. Dr. Riley is also a partner in a company working to develop genetic treatments for disease. So it's not surprising that on balance, he sees more benefit than harm in genetic testing. Indeed, he argues that even if you're disinclined to learn your individual results, participating in genetic tests is still worth considering because it broadens our knowledge of disease. He notes that for a highly individualized disease like Parkinson's, we may eventually be able to craft more effective treatment based in part on your genotype. I think that there is a good chance that in a few years we'll have a better understanding of the differential response of patients to medication. Mm -hmm. Why do some patients do better on a medication for this disorder than others? That we call pharmacogenetics. I think that is going to be one of the greatest benefits, not only to Parkinson's, but to understanding the treatment of many other disorders. By way of example, Riley observes that a drug that might not pass muster in a clinical trial of Parkinson's patients in general 
might actually work in a specific subset of patients. I think, sadly, lurking in many drug trials for many diseases that have failed, there may well be subsets of patients in whom the drug was a good drug, but because of the way the study was constructed, there weren't enough patients to say, hey, for those 10% of patients, it really worked. Recently, we've seen in some cancer trials that that's been exactly the case, mm. that a drug that failed for the whole population saved 10 or 20% of the people. And this is going to be, I think, one of the exciting new aspects of applying genetics thinking to drug development. While there may be plenty of reasons to consider participating in genetic testing, whether you choose to learn the results or not, there are also compelling questions. For example, can the results of a genetic test put your insurance or job status at risk? And even more important, can you trust the accuracy of the genetic test you take? I spoke with someone recently who said that they had sent out their DNA samples to a couple of different genetic testing firms and had gotten rather different results about risk assessment for different diseases. Is that a common problem? And to what extent, again, should consumers be aware of the fallibility of the results that they may be getting back? I think it's a very important question to raise, and I have to draw a distinction in answering your question between the so-called direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies and more formally constructed clinical laboratories. Certainly, there is well-published evidence that test result samples that have been samples that have been sent out to certain direct-to-consumer genetic testing companies have yielded disparate results. It may be ultimately better, and the individual has to decide this, to have the test run in a laboratory that has a more traditional clinical set of interests. So why I am in no way paternalistic about keeping test results or keeping people away from a test, I do tend to favor a model in which the individual who gets the test result gets it in a setting where they have ready access to somebody who could really help them if they have technical questions that are coming up for the first time. Riley advises patients to tackle genetic testing like they would any important personal consumer question. Do your research, check references, and ask plenty of questions. Another common concern is whether genetic test results can be used against you, hurting your chances of getting insurance or getting a job. Dr. Riley, who's also an attorney, is confident that won't be the case. A few years ago, the so-called GINA is the acronym, G-I-N-A, Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, was enacted into law at the federal level that specifically prohibits certain kinds of discrimination in health insurance around genetic status. Furthermore, there's the very powerful Americans with Disabilities Act. Few people know, but it is true that the third definition of disability under the law is, quote, unquote, if the individual is perceived as having a disability, hmm. which might well apply to genetic information. And it is a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act to not hire an individual because of that perception. Dr. Phil Riley, past president of the American Society of Law, Medicine, and Ethics, and a partner in Third Rock Ventures, which seeks to develop new treatments for genetic disorders. For more information about this topic and the role of genetics in Parkinson's disease research, visit michaeljfox.org. I'm Dave Iverson. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. 
Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.